We are in week number four of our series, Women of the Bible, right? And we have looked at three different women and stories of their lives in Scripture and why it has been meaningful. But before we get into this one, I have a few questions that I would like for you to consider. And this, ladies and gentlemen, and if you're online, you can type this in the chat. This is the participation portion of the church service. Everybody understand? This means yes, this means no, this is... All right, so here we go. I'm going to give you three would-you-rather questions, and I need for you to answer out loud which one you would rather do. All right, so here we go. Here's, here's the first one. Would you rather, go ahead and put it up there, be right and made fun of, or be wrong and adored? Which one would you rather? In your life, would you rather be right and made fun of because you were right all the time, or would you rather just be wrong and people love you even though you're wrong? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you'd like to be right, and it's okay people make fun of you. We're starting to get to know a lot about people here, okay? Who would rather, it's, I'd rather be wrong as long as people love me. Raise your hand. Yes, everyone, try not to be judgmental as you look around the room. Okay, perfect. See, we're just getting to know each other this morning. Uh, second one, would you rather be able to know what someone will do or know why someone does what they do? Would you rather be able to know what they're going to do, or would you rather be able to know why they're doing what they're doing? So raise your hand if you would like to know what someone's going to do. Raise your hand if you would like to know why someone does what they do. Okay, raise your hand if you didn't raise your hand. Great, okay, perfect, two of you, awesome, thank you, I appreciate your honesty. Uh, And then finally, now listen, if you're not married, you're in the room, you're not married, you're out on this one, but you can just think hypothetically about what you would like your answer to be. Would you rather have your spouse know what you're thinking all the time or know what your spouse is thinking all the time? A lot of people fidgeting right now after I ask that question. Would you rather have your spouse know what you're thinking or would you rather know what they are thinking? All right, here we go. Moment of truth. Spouses, you got to drive home with each other, so just remember that. Okay. Raise your hand if you would rather have your spouse know what you're thinking. Raise your hand. Oh, boy. Okay. So by default, raise your hand if you would rather know what they are thinking. Now, some of you are like, I know what they're thinking. Nothing, right? But that's fine. There's there's nothing going on up there. They're not thinking anything. That's fine. I totally understand that. So that might not have been a good would-you-rather question. But I'm asking these questions this morning to get your brain thinking because situations and scenarios and things that we can think up or come up with, uh, well, they can be meaningful or some of them can be not very impactful, but we all go through situations and circumstances that get us thinking. Now, imagine this scenario for a second, if you would. Your fiancé comes to you. In this scenario, you would be engaged to be married, just so we all know what fiancé is, right? Okay. Your fiancé comes to you and says, I'm pregnant, even though we haven't consummated our relationship yet. Or, imagine you having to go to your fiancé and saying, yeah, so not a big deal, uh, but um, I'm actually carrying a child right now, but we haven't really done anything to make that happen. Right now, we're talking about women of the Bible. It's Christmas time. Who am I talking about? Um, yes, five gold stars for all of you and your Bible school Sunday teachers. Well done. We are talking about Mary this morning. 
And, and when we talk about women of the Bible, and we talk about how uh, when they get mentioned or they get brought up or their details are listed about their life, there are significant things that have happened. Most of us, even if you've rarely ever been to church, can think of pretty significant things. Well, one kind of significant thing that happens in the life of Mary that would maybe be worthy of talking about or being mentioned But this morning, I would like for you to consider that Mary's significance in Scripture and why we're going to talk about her this morning might be a little bit different than what you would traditionally have on your radar as to why we would talk about Mary. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 46, and we'll be in 46 to 55, Luke chapter 1. Uh, If you need a Bible, there's probably one underneath your chair. If you don't have a Bible, you can read and understand. We have some study Bibles we'd love to give to you so that you can actually do that. And if you have one and it's just collecting dust at home, bring it on to church with you. We'll use it every Sunday because that's the kind of people we are here at South Union. Uh, So Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46, uh, we've talked about Mary. She is this girl that uh, she receives a a vision. She receives an encounter from an angel, and the angel tells her that she's going to have a child, even though she's never uh, laid with a man, and this person is going to be a pretty significant person. And Mary has tried to process all this information, and so she does what what I think every woman does, When they're in a time of chaos and crisis and trying to figure things out, after they've figured that they can't figure it out themselves, they go to their best female friend and they start talking about it with them. And so Mary has traveled to the house of Elizabeth, who she's related to, and she just kind of spilled the beans that she's pregnant, that God said she was going to be pregnant and this is what was going to happen. And Elizabeth is actually also pregnant at the same time. And so there's some conversation and some dialogue that happens in Luke chapter 1. And then after some conversation, Mary comes to this conclusion about her situation. And this is where where we will pick it up. Verse 46, it says this, And Mary said, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and His name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear Him. He has done a mighty deed with His arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. Now, when we read through this, we, we know that like Mary is, is in the middle of telling her closest friends and family members this crazy thing is happening that, she is, that she's pregnant, right? Now, this is not like a, this is not like a, a common thing, but I've found in my, my years in ministry— that it's actually more difficult to tell people that are closer to you challenging things than sometimes it is to a complete stranger. Because if you tell it to a complete stranger, well, you're never going to see him again. You don't have to deal with any other follow-up conversations. They're going to leave and there's nothing else you have to deal with. But when you have to tell it to your closest family and friends, sometimes it can get real sticky 
It can get real complicated whenever that happens. And Mary is going around telling people closest to her that she is pregnant and all the details that go along with it. And she is crazily, which is shockingly, she believes that God has given her a child and that that child will be the Savior of the world. I mean, think about what I just said for a second. Take away your years of Christianity and your years of sitting in a church for a second. What I just said was absolutely bonkers. God impregnated me, and now I'm going to have the Savior of the world. What? Okay, Mary, we have a good doctor that's just a few blocks down the road. We're going to let you go see her. and They've got this nice little white jacket that they're going to let you wear for a while because it's unbelievable what you have just said. And she's processed this with Mary, and she's taken some time to figure out what's really going on. And she kind of needed a friend a close family member, to help her go through that. Now, this passage we just read is called the Magnificat. The Catholic Church, well, the Catholic Church, if you grew up Catholic, they've kind of been going on about this woman of the Bible for a very long time. In fact, Mary is probably one of the only ones that ever get talked about in the Catholic Church because so much is built around that faith. Now, let me just pause for a second. It is not my goal to name bash or to to do anything to the Catholic Church. I just want for you to understand a couple of things. That the Catholic Church has made this Magnificat a whole part of the way that they celebrate Christmas. And in fact, their view of Mary is this esteemed and high-held one. So much so that Well, sometimes it gets a little bit more attention and maybe gets overplayed in some unhealthy ways. But if you would ever go to a Catholic church service, they or a mass as they would call it, you could have the Magnificat being something that is sung as a song. And that's what Mary has here in 46 through 55. She has this song that she sings, these these lyrics that are on her heart as a response to her situation. And the word Magnificat, which is what these few verses are, have their their root understanding in the word magnify. Now, I don't know if you need a magnifying glass, but I remember going to my grandpa's house when I was little, and he would be doing a crossword puzzle, and he needed two things with this crossword, three things. He needed a pencil, he needed an eraser, and he needed a magnifying glass, right? Some of you are like, this is a little too personal right there. I'm not trying to call anybody out, just so you know, just this, this is just what happened with my grandpa. And we would walk in, and he would put it down, and he put it all away. And I was always like, I was always fascinated by the, the magnifying glass, but here's the basics of this, right? To magnify something is to make something appear larger than it really is, or at least how it's perceived to be. Make something larger than what it really is, or at least how it's perceived and how you see something to make it bigger. And listen, here, here is why Mary is our woman of the Bible for today. Because all throughout the Magnificat, these incredible 10 verses in this passage, her heart, the way she sees things, in her circumstances, she chooses to make God's presence and how he is working bigger than what is apparent at first glance. Mary magnifies God's presence and his working in the middle of her circumstance 
and situation. In fact, look, look back here. Re, re, let's reread this. Uh, verse 46, my soul praises the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. I don't know about you, but I personally resonate with verse 48 of the, he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Because what Mary is saying is, I'm literally a nobody. And for whatever reason, God would choose to use me in this humble state that I'm in. In Christmas time, for me, and, and when I specifically look at the life of Mary and her response in the Magnificat, kind of cuts me to the core because I know that I've shared a little bit of, of my past, but because I'm fairly new, I grew up in a single parent home where uh, my mom raised four kids by herself and sometimes worked three jobs. And we lived in what I now know to be poverty. And there were times when I could look off of my porch and I could see people doing drug deals just across the street if I looked out my mom's window. And there were several of my friends who, uh, by the time they were 18, were put in jail. People that I went to elementary school with, we grew up on food stamps. There were times whenever in the winter time would come, I would wake up because I was cold and not because I was cold, but because like we had to pick the days we ran the heat in our house. And I'm, I'm not telling you all those things to, to make you feel sorry for me. I just want for you to know that every day, especially during Christmas time, when I look at how Mary chooses to make God bigger in the circumstances and the situation, that I can't help but feel the same way she feels. That I get to be a part of this church, that I get to be married, that I get to have a functional life because there are many people that I grew up with that don't have any of those things. And for whatever reason, I do. And I, and I truly feel Mary in this because it is not anything that I have done to make this so, but I fully believe 100% it is the favor and the blessing of choosing to follow Jesus, and he has done all of those things on my behalf. And I'm wondering if you've ever been in a spot where your circumstances were incredibly overwhelming and so confusing that the list of questions you had was way longer than the number of answers that you had. And the challenges seemed to be a, a mountaintop high. Or the things that you were going through seemed like they were going to be the thing that took you out or was going to be the end of what you were calling life in that moment. Because here's what happens, and maybe you're not like me, but I think that we all are, because I think most of us in those situations, in those circumstances, and in those times we experience those moments in life, most of us choose to magnify the doubt that we have in ourselves or the situation. We, we tend to magnify the uncertainty of the moment because we don't have the answers. And most of us choose to magnify the worry that will exist in our heart and on our mind because of the doubt and the uncertainty. And in the midst of not having any of the answers she's probably looking for, Mary comes to this place where she chooses to respond by magnifying God's faithfulness, his strength, and his character. Mary chooses to magnify and to make bigger, or at least than what just appears on a normal level. She chooses to magnify God's faithfulness, his strength, his power, and his character. It's almost like 
she takes this perspective of God is doing something with and in my circumstances. God is doing something with and in my circumstances, even though I don't necessarily know all the details of it. So what does it look like for us as we begin to walk into this holiday season, the Christmas season, and what does it look like for us to follow these notes, these this instructions, this guide and template for us to magnify God as we live out our days regardless of what the circumstances are? And if you've tuned me out or if you're at home and you're watching and you've started doing laundry or cooking lunch, pause that, what you're doing, and come back to the, to the computer, to the TV for a second. Because I just want to suggest to you four things that I think will help us to have Mary-like magnification of God in all of our circumstances. And here's the first one. Mary sees things with her faith as a foundation. In fact, if we're talking about seeing things, when we get really particular, it's almost like she has contact lenses in so the only way she can see things from this point on is with the faith that she has in God, and that's the way she sees things. In fact, in her Magnificat, verse 46 to 56, she references the Old Testament 13 times and 10 different verses. So her faith was not something that she just did. Her faith was a part of who she was and how she saw things. Her belief in God and who he was was how she saw things, and that's how she chose to process the situation. Second one, if we want to magnify God, we need to find ways to spotlight what God is doing. She says here, she says, look, she says, he has done a mighty deed. He has toppled the mighty. He has satisfied the hungry. He has helped his servants. He has had mercy. He has done great things. And all around, Mary looks and says, I can see even in the midst of this circumstance and situation, God has been doing something. And she makes it known to the people. We need to find ways in our life, in our situation, in our circumstances to spotlight what God is doing. And I don't know what that looks like for you. But I think for you to be able to look around, and for me, the easiest way I do that is by, by talking to other people and letting them serve as an encouragement to me. And for me to just step back and to say, God, I know that you're doing this. Would you help me to see it? And then amazingly enough, this is, might be a shocker to some of you, but when we ask God for things, he shows up. And he shows us and he answers our prayers. Third one, and then we'll, we'll, we'll move on to the last one and get going here. Mary trusts God because of who she knows him to be. She said, God has looked on me with favor. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And there's, let me just pause here for a second. There's a chance that there might be either watching now or some of you in the room that this one will be difficult to trust God because you don't know who he is. There's a chance that you're in this room and that you have not made a decision to follow Jesus and to make him the Lord and master of your life. And because of that, it is difficult to trust him because you don't know him. And there are people in this room that would time and time again tell you that when you get to know who God is, trusting him becomes easier. Not easy, easier. And I would just like for you to consider if you're in the room this morning and you have never trusted God fully with your life to accept him as your savior, 
that this newborn baby that Mary is talking about, the one that's in her womb, is the same one that rose from the dead and gives us victory and life and defeated sin and death. And so maybe your consideration this morning as we walk into the holiday season and we learn from the woman in the Bible is this, that you would put your faith and your hope and your trust in the details of your life. You have put that trust in him. And here's what I love about Mary. She rejoices, she celebrates, and she gives God credit before anything is actually ever done. The Magnificat is littered with and is full of hope and moments of giving praise and glory and honor and celebrating the work of God. And she hasn't even had the child yet because her faith is anchored in who God is. And so she can celebrate because she looks forward in anticipation for what God is going to do in the process instead of being worried about what is only happening right now. And for some of you, when we go to Thanksgiving and we go to Christmas and we go to other holiday things, we're reminded of situations and people in our lives that maybe we don't have good relationships with, that maybe are broken or are strained, or maybe there are moments and things you're getting ready to walk into. And I would just encourage you to see the world the way that this woman of the Bible, Mary, does, and that you would, in anticipation for what God is going to do, give him thanks ahead of time because your faith would be anchored in him. Now, this Sunday marks the first Sunday of what is called Advent. And every year, we light candles to signify and to commemorate and to bring about what Advent is. And the first week of Advent is appropriately the week of hope. And that's at the heart of everything that Mary talks about in the Magnificat. She is, regardless of her circumstances and her situation, anchored in the hope that comes from knowing God. So this morning, as we light our first candle, we know that although it's just something basic as lighting a candle, that it represents so much more. That we as people who love Jesus and in anticipation for what we know that he is going to do, we, we anchor ourselves in hope. And not only is our hope in what is yet to come, our hope is also anchored in what was done. So every Sunday morning, we come together and we take communion. So this morning, as you come and they're, they're over here and there's some open space for you to maybe spend some time in prayer, maybe for you this morning, you would just simply come to the table of the Lord to take communion and to kneel in prayer to just say, God, I need hope in this situation and I want to lean in on you. Or God, I just simply want to say thank you and to take this this posture of magnifying you, God, and making you bigger because you have blessed me and I'm so thankful. Whatever that might look like for you this morning, we pray that these next few moments will be a time for you to connect with your creator, God, to simply say thank you for the cross 
and to have a few moments to be anchored in hope regardless of what you're going through this morning. Let's pray together. God, it's in these moments right here in the stillness and on the pauses and that we get to simply come to you and just say thank you. Thank you that you have used people throughout history to point other people to your kingdom. Thank you that you have you've given people the opportunity to be light in dark places, just like this candle is that we just lit. The hope that comes with it. So this morning we give you these next few moments to simply say thanks, to say that we love you. And I pray for each person in this room that they would be able to anchor themselves, whatever situation they're in, in the hope and anticipation of what you're going to do and where you're already at work. It's in Jesus' name that I pray.